Um, it's good to be here with you this morning. You got the old guy in the pulpit this morning, so it's good to be back. And uh, I was just wondering, how many of you have been praying for rain? <laughs> You've done good. I just want you to know that. I was out yesterday in the middle of all of that, and I ran to my truck thinking, oh, man, I can get dry. And I left the windows open. So um, I sat in a wet seat all the way home. It kind of reminded me when I was in diapers. So um, anyways, we've been studying in uh, Daniel and the book of Daniel and also in the book of Esther. And uh, over the past several weeks, we've obviously been talking about the concept of Anne being faithful to Christ and yet winsome to culture. This morning, we're going to dive into a passage of Scripture in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 30. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open that, it's up to you, because we'll see it, show it on the screen. But I want to walk you through a great story. And by the way, it's not a, just a novel here. We're talking about history here. This is reality. This is something that happened in, our, in, the, in the, the annals of Scripture. And if we believe Scripture to be inspired by God, we know that this story is absolutely true. And uh, you're going to be uh, able to enjoy this. And in fact, it's a story about, if you remember, if you grew up in Sunday school, about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you remember when Chris shared that, and what both Pastor Scott talked about, how each one was given a Babylonian name. These are their Babylonian names, but I do have their English names because I was taught this in Sunday school, that their names were shake the bed, make the bed, and to bed we go. So... um, uh, so anyways, these are three guys who actually distinguish themselves in a very pagan culture in Babylon. And the pagan culture of the day uh, was ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was an interesting egomaniac, but these boys had gone through Babylonian U, and they had graduated, and they had been able to be a part of the governing process in Babylon, and they were also Jews which was an amazing feat for them to be able to do that. So they had distinguished themselves with a great reputation. But we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, where King Nebuchadnezzar decides that he's going to build this incredible altar that everybody was to bow down to. Let's read about it. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. That was approximately 90 feet tall, and nine feet wide, so you can see how incredibly large this was. And can you imagine it made out of gold? Uh, my goodness, who knows how much it was worth. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And I want to remind you, these included Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they were over some provinces within uh, the uh, kingdom of Babylon. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The problem was, uh, excuse me, the problem was that whoever didn't, in verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. That furnace looked something similar to this. It was probably a kiln furnace because they used to make bricks in that day and they would heat up this kiln and they would fire these bricks. And later on, you're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar actually heated it up seven times hotter to throw these three gentlemen into this fiery furnace. And by the way, that probably registered at about 2,300 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're talking to a pretty hot spot. 
Okay? Let's move on in the story because what happened here was is that there were some Chaldeans who obviously hated the Jews who came to Nebuchadnezzar and squealed on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they knew, he knew that they would not fall down to this particular idol. And they wanted to have them have the consequences of that. And so there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Hang on just right there. What's really interesting here is that when you have a reputation of distinguishing yourselves as men and women of God, there are always going to be people watching, right? And these Chaldeans were really hated the Jews and were really frustrated, and they wanted these guys to be knocked down a peg or two, and so they squeal on them to the king. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets furious with that, and he commands that these three guys come before him. So Nebi goes into this rage, and... uh, in verse 14, it says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? What's interesting here is that Nebuchadnezzar takes the time to give them an opportunity to defend themselves or to respond because he didn't really want to go uh, to the nth degree of throwing them into the fiery furnace. So he gave them a chance to really respond. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this matter. In other words, they weren't going to argue. They weren't going to defend themselves. They basically said, look, uh, we don't don't need to, to defend ourselves here. What's been said is absolutely true. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, or he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. What is really powerful here is these three guys were so confident in their God that they were able to say, hey, look, If you want to throw us into the fiery furnace, our God is powerful enough to spare us. And if not, so be it. Kind of reminds me of uh, what Paul said. To me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So these guys had this confidence in their God that he was far more powerful that he could even deliver them from this incredible fiery furnace. But if not, be it known to the king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They didn't say anything. They didn't argue with the king. They didn't say to the king, oh, your God, it's stupid. It's dumb. We're not going to bow down to that uh, piece of gold. You know, we, we only serve the true God. They just basically said, nope, we're not going to do what you're asking us to do. So then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Up to that point, he was willing to give him an opportunity, but then he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. So it was probably heated up to about 2,300 degrees. In fact, if you go on in that particular passage, you're going to see that the men who actually were going to throw them into were actually consumed by the heat. It was so strong. So men actually died in throwing them into this fiery furnace. And so he ordered, the mighty, uh, ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Amazing. But something happens here that's just really, really powerful. The, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselor, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. 
And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So he saw probably some angel or present being that was there, that was involved there. We're not sure if it was the Lord himself, but we do know that God was somehow manifesting his presence, and they all saw it visibly, and it was amazing. He declares then that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. It was like, I mean, you've been around a smoker, right? I mean, you can't even sit in a vehicle with them and you not come out smelling like that. But these guys had nothing. There was no evidence of anything that they had been in this fire. Moving on in the story. Therefore, King Nebuchadnezzar says, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. I mean, the king was smart enough to realize that he's dealing with a powerful God here. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's fascinating to me here to see three young guys who confronted their culture, engaged the culture, and actually, by God's grace, changed the culture. Because now the king makes this declaration throughout the whole kingdom of Babylon, you better wise up to this God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego serve. Powerful, powerful story of how God used these three young men to really make a huge difference in a culture that was totally paganized. So we can learn some things from these guys this morning, and I want to point out various things that God has used them, how they've modeled some of the qualities that have been preached about over the past several weeks, how they were winsome to their culture and yet maintained what I call biblical integrity. So let's start with point number one. We need to be men and women of conviction. Be a man and woman of conviction. See, these guys knew what the Torah said. The very first commandment, don't let have any other gods before me. And they camped on that and said, look, this is a hill we're going to die on. We are not going to worship any other gods but the one true God. They were men and women of conviction. Now, when I think about conviction, sometimes we get a little confused about what I would consider the definition of a conviction. So I'm going to give you a conviction a definition here that hopefully will resonate with you, because I think we get confused sometimes in the Christian community about what a real conviction is. Conviction is being fully convinced in your own mind by God, based upon clear biblical evidence that there are areas of belief where there is no room for compromise. Now, I want to emphasize the fact that we're talking about being fully convinced in whose mind? In our own mind. See, what's happened to a lot of us as believers, we've allowed not only culture to infiltrate our thinking, we also have our own baggage that we've brought into our, our, our thinking and when it comes to our own convictions based upon what we were raised, by what church we were in, all those different values that have been passed down to us. And consequently, what's happened to a lot of us is that we've never really came face to face with our God and come down to a basic theological convictions and moral convictions that we can build our life on as a foundation. 
I know, like many of you, when I was 19 years old, I had grown up in a Christian home, and my parents had certain convictions and things that they thought were really important, and I went to a church where there were certain things that they preached and they were, that were important, and then I got off onto my own into college, and I went to a Christian college, and I discovered that there was a lot of hypocrisy, and I was really struggling at some point and saying, God, you know, I don't get this. You know, I, I, can't, I can't live my parents' Christianity anymore. I can't live my best friend's Christianity anymore. I've got to figure this thing out. And I remember getting down on my knees and saying, God, if you're real, and I thought for a moment, well, that's probably interesting because if he's not real, I'm talking to nobody. But I got, got down dirty with God and I said, God, it's you and me from now on. And these things that I believe that I'm going to have hills that I'm going to die on, I'm going to be there for you, and you're going to be there for me, and we're going to work this thing out, and I'm going to own it for myself. And how many of us have really been challenged to do that in our lives, where we've adopted maybe other biases and prejudices, and we allow culture to kind of influence us a little bit, and pretty soon we've lost our biblical integrity, we've lost the the very issues that God speaks very clearly about, and consequently we've become wishy-washy, we've rationalized, and our behavior represents that. And then we wonder why people see us as Christians being hypocritical and bigoted and intolerant, People respect the fact that if we have convictions and we stand on them, people respect that, even if they don't agree with us. And I would challenge us this morning to let each man be fully convinced in our own mind. Look at what it says when there was a discussion in in the book of Romans where Paul was talking about various issues of of, um, eating and um, and whether certain foods were, were proper to eat or not. And he basically makes a statement, which I think is very powerful. Let each man be what? Be fully convinced in his own mind. See, these three guys were fully convinced that to the point of they were willing to go into a fiery furnace because they were not going to compromise this particular foundational truth in their lives. And I wonder how many of us really have taken the time to get down with our Lord, come face to face with some of these areas of our life and say, no, this is a place where I'm not going to compromise. Now, it doesn't mean we have to cram those convictions down everybody else's throat and we have to be judgmental of people who don't adopt our convictions, but the point is we've got to be willing to sit down with the Lord and say, no, this is where I draw the line. Because if we don't draw the lines in our life, we're going to move it every time and compromise. And when we compromise, we're telling the culture that we're living in that we're inconsistent, bigoted hypocrites. So it starts with conviction. If we're going to change our culture, it's got to start somewhere, and I believe it has to start with conviction. Here's point number two that I see that these guys represented. They let their actions speak louder than their words. What I mean by that is they decided to say, okay, look, we went to Babylonian U. No, we don't agree with the pagan culture that we're living in, but we're going we're gonna to learn everything we can learn, the brightest and the best, and we're going to hopefully find a place of greater influence in our lives and distinguish ourselves with a great reputation. And consequently, they became uh, justices or governors over certain provinces in Babylon. They really rose, the cream rose to the top, if you will. They bloomed where they were planted. They, they demonstrated and distinguished themselves as being young men that were trustworthy by the king and with great integrity. That's why the king gave him a second shot. Because he thought, boy, these guys, they've, they've done so well for me in my kingdom. I can't believe that they would, they would do this. Because why? Because these guys had distinguished themselves and they already had a great reputation. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Live such a good life among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits. 
I think sometimes as Christians, we, we talk about our convictions and our beliefs, but we don't, it's a disconnect with sometimes with our actions. And, and I, I'll never forget a time back in, a number of years ago where there was, when I worked with the Phoenix Police Department, there was a guy who worked in the property management bureau, and I got to know a lot of the civilians that worked there. And this guy had developed uh, kidney cancer, and he was gay. And Greg, his sergeant, was a believer, and I went to Greg one day, and I said, Greg, you know, maybe we should stop by the house, because he was, he was in, a, in a situation where it was under hospice care, and it gotten pretty serious. And I said, Greg, have you ever shared Jesus with this guy? And he said, oh, no, I, you, know, but, you know, he's gay. And I said, well, let's go to his house. Who cares? So we went to his house, and we shared with him for about an hour, and we met his partner, and, and uh, we shared Christ with him, and he accepted Christ. And the day he died, he was listening to I Can Only Imagine on the radio. And I remember his partner calling or getting together with Greg, and he said, Greg, you know, we don't have any place to do a memorial service for him. And I said, well, Greg, our church church will do the memorial service. He said, you will? I said, yeah, we'd be happy to do that. And so we did the memorial service, and we did it up. I'll tell you, we fed him lunch, and and we uh, just had the greatest time. And there were probably 70 gay people in that service that heard the gospel that day. And what was so amazing is they thought, you know, they knew what evangelical Christians and what their convictions were. But they saw something that day that said, you know what, we love you and respect you regardless of where your lifestyle is. And sometimes we forget that, that we talk the talk. But those people who are different from us, those people that we maybe have a little prejudice against, those people that, that in our lives that we just have, don't get along with, when they see acts of love, you know the old story, they don't know how much you care until, or they don't care how much you know until you know how much we care. And sometimes we forget that. And I see these guys that they had distinguished themselves and they lived in such a way that they had distinguished themselves. And my question to all of us is, what kind of a reputation do we have when we're not in the room? with the people that we work with, the people in our neighborhood? Have we distinguished ourselves enough to really make a difference when it comes to really engaging our culture? I believe as Christians, we should be the most reliable, the most authentic, the most highest of integrity. And so our reputations should make a difference in our culture based upon what I see with these three guys. Here's the third thing that I noticed about these guys. They stayed away from unproductive arguments. We heard about that from, from Chris a few weeks ago, how sometimes we get into these discussions of, of uh, who's right and who's wrong. And I, I love this scripture in Proverbs. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want their air their own opinions. Isn't that profound? You know, we've been living in a politically charged culture right now, aren't we? And boy, do we have opinions, right? And it's all over Facebook It's all over social media. And it's fascinating to me. These guys did not get into an unproductive argument with Nebuchadnezzar. They they didn't respond. They didn't didn't say, you know, look, let let, let us explain to you why your gods don't work and why our God does. They didn't get into this defense where they were defending their own. They just said, look, we're not going to bow down to you. That's bottom line. And you have to do what you have to do. And it's okay because our God's powerful enough to either deliver us from this fire or even if he doesn't, it's okay. Because God's still on the throne. And so we have here, um, there's, there's really easy for us to get caught up 
in airing our own opinions, and it can be so divisive. And our culture doesn't need that. They certainly need our convictions. But when we start arguing amongst ourselves, and I see that even amongst evangelical believers. I remember this whole immigration thing that just came through. And and there's so much disagreement, even amongst believers, that gets aired out into social media. And I'm thinking, is that productive? Is that really what God's looking for? So we need to stay away from unproductive arguments. Here's the fourth thing that I see here. Give respect to those who differ from you. That's what we tried to do with that gay community back in the day. But I see that with these guys too. But if you go back into scripture, you realize that when they were responding to the the king, they didn't um, be condescending or anything like that. They kept saying, oh, king, there was this this respect towards the king. They weren't going to get into an argument. They weren't going to try to defend themselves. And they they already had the respect of the king, and he was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. But they gave respect to those who differ from them. And I think that's important for us, that there's a lot of things out there that we differ on when it comes to our culture, but we still need to be able to respect. You know, First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Show respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. You know, I think we in our culture today have lost respect for authority. Have you noticed that? You know, back in the day uh, when President Obama was president and now President Trump, it's interesting how all the rhetorics out there against these individuals, and we forget oftentimes that this is a God-ordained authority, and we need to respect the position. If we don't respect them, that's, that's up to you, but we need to respect and honor the authority. I live in the, in the law enforcement community, and I've seen how that's eroded over the years in the police community that no longer are those authorities having respect. We've lost respect for people who differ from us, and I think it's really important that as believers that we maintain respect for people that don't agree with us. If we're going to make a difference, we need to do that. You know what's interesting is that what culture has tried to do to us, I think, as evangelicals, is they've tried to wrap us up. You know, we always say this, right? We love the sinner but hate the sin. You know what I'm talking about? You know, we can, we, can, we can love the person, but we may not respect their behavior. And we know how to, to divide that as believers. We understand that. But if, if there's times where believers have not shown the respect, then what culture tries to do is, is synthesize the two together and don't separate that. No, you can't. You can't just love their, the person and not love their, their behavior. You can't do that. And you haven't shown us that you can do that. And so they try to make us look like we're bigoted and intolerant, right? We need to show respect. Here's number five. Have confidence in the powerful God you love no matter what the circumstances. What I love about these guys, I mean, they were faced with a fiery furnace. And they approached the king and said, you know what? It's okay. We can go into the furnace, and we know that our God is powerful enough to deliver us. And if he doesn't, it's okay with us, because we still know that God is on the throne. And I feel like in our culture today, we've sort of lost that. You know, I, I do too. I, I, there's days where you feel like more our culture is just going to hell in a handbasket, and you think, God, would you come quickly? You know, just Come. We need you, Lord, to rescue this mess. 
And so sometimes what we do is we kind of get this, oh, well, there's not a whole lot I can do, right? Now, wait a minute, time out. Do we serve the same God that just delivered these guys from the fiery furnace? Amen? Did we or did we not? And I think sometimes we forget that God is still on the throne no matter what kind of a mess our culture's in. I was thinking of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 23. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Do we believe that? I don't care if it's Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or President Trump. It doesn't matter. God is over all and in all. And he's not abandoned us yet on this earth. And for many of us, we kind of get this give up mentality. Or it's like, oh, that's, well, what's, what's this the use? It's a mess. And what we're almost saying is that, God, you're still not on the throne. You're not sovereign. You're not in control. You're not all powerful. If he can bring princes down, he controls the world. He's sovereign. And boy, we've got to remember that. We do. I know I forget that. There's days where I just think, God, are, you know, I just, don't, I just feel like this place is just, it's, it's hopeless. And you say, wait a minute. Do we serve the all-powerful God or not? And what I love about these guys is they didn't forget that in the midst of the greatest challenge of their lives. And so I go to number six. What these guys represented to me is when the fires of life are closing in on us, that there is another person in the furnace with us. Amen? There's always another person in the furnace with us. I think of Romans 8.38 when I think of that. For I am convinced that neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, not anything else in all creation will able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I believe that one of the greatest ways we can show our culture, our God, is how we handle adversity. Have you noticed that? Uh, There are people to me that have had the best influence are those who have gone through some of the most trying and difficult times in life. And because they know Jesus, people notice that there's somebody in the room with them. There's somebody in the fire with them. I think of people who I respect so much that uh, a couple of my good friends that died of ALS and other friends of mine that had MS. And I, you look at those people and their attitudes and their love for God is just blowing me away. And you say, how can they do this? It's because somebody's in the furnace with them. And that has the greatest opportunity for impact in the lives of people who don't know Jesus. So let me give you some closing thoughts this morning. Have you taken the time to hear from God as to where you need to be drawing those lines in the sand in your own life? Are you the person who knows what you believe and why you believe it? And you have taken the time in your own life to go back to scriptures and spend some time with the Lord to say, no, this is where I draw the line. And this is a hill that I'm going to die on. Do I believe the Bible is all inspired? Yes, I do. Okay, I'm going to draw the line there. So when scripture says something in black and white, no, I believe it because, why? Because I have a conviction 
a theological conviction that Scripture is inspired by God and is giving me truth. For some of us, maybe this morning, it's time to have that come to Jesus moment. Say, do I believe the Bible or not? Do, do I really understand the, understand the virgin birth and the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection and all those things that are theologically within our system of how people come to know Christ, that there are not 15 million different ways to get to heaven, but it's only through Jesus Christ. And the list goes on and on and on. Do you really believe that with your whole heart? And is it a hill that you really want to die on? And maybe it's time to have faith that's your own conviction. Because if we're going to change our culture, we've got to start somewhere. And that's the best place to start. Secondly, with those in your realm of influence, how have well have we distinguished ourselves as a person of biblical integrity? What do people say about you when you're not around, at work, in your neighborhood? We probably don't know a lot. But how have we created a reputation with family? With, I call them maybe my, there's many or subcultures that we all kind of traffic in, you know what I mean? I mean, there's this whole culture out there in the U.S., if you will, that's dominating and, and permeating everything that we say and do. But there are also places that we have culture in. I, my, one of my, the culture that I live in, obviously one of them is the, the sheriff's department. And so, what kind of a reputation do I have when I'm not around? You know, and it's scary. When you think about it, there are a lot of Chaldeans out there that would like to squeal on us, you know? And so, I think there's a, it's something that we have to, you know, when I, when I think about us, if we're going to make a difference, then like I said earlier, we're going to have to be the most authentic, the most ethical Uh, the most dependable, the most reliable people on the planet because if we're going to make a difference in our culture, the people are going to be watching us and they're going to see that. So that's the second thought that I had. Here's the third one. Are you able to show respect? I mean, show love and respect to those people who disagree with your convictions. You know, um, sometimes we, there are hills to die on that aren't worth dying on, I guess is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And there's going to be people out there that are not going to be agreeing with us. But can we still show them respect and love even though we don't agree? Here's the fourth thought that I have. Don't give up. You know, um, I, I got to be honest with you. There's over my lifetime of doing ministry. And, you know, I was just, just yesterday, um, I was out doing some equine therapy with some veterans. And, um, and one of the people asked me, why do you like doing stuff with the horses? And I said, you know, because I see tangible evidence when I can pick up their manure. I can see results. You know, you know where I'm going with this? And yet when we talk about culture and we talk about relationships... It's so hard sometimes because the intangibles are not there, or the tangibles aren't there. And, and so consequently, it's just easy to say, am I really making a difference? I, I feel that way some days in the sheriff's department where I feel like, you know, am I really making a difference in some of these guys' lives? And sometimes when I'm at the maybe the bottom of the barrel, God always does something really cool to say, yeah, you are. Hang in there, pal. 
Don't give up. And for some of you, you maybe have been trying so hard at work or in the neighborhood or in various ministries that you're involved in, volunteering. I just want to encourage you, don't give up. God honors your faithfulness. You know, he never said, thanks for all the transformations that happened in, your, in, in people's lives. Basically, He said, well done, thou good and what? Faithful servant. Faithful servant. So don't give up. So what's the next step? Here's what I would encourage you to think about. Pick your tribe and be intentional. What do I mean by that? You know, you've been hearing next steps every week, and I I hope that we've all been laboring over that. In fact, a lot of reasons why we have community groups is is the reason why we can sit down and we can maybe hope make some application and and put some feet on on the bones, if you will, and and put some uh, obedience to it. And, and, um, and I don't know how you've responded, but they've been some great messages. And this morning, I just thought, you know what? Let me encourage you this morning to take a step, okay? Because a lot of times, if you're like me, you know, you see the next steps and you go throughout the week and those kind of just kind of fade away. But I'm going to ask you to take a step this morning and be intentional. And what I mean by picking a tribe is that, you know, I picked a tribe a long 20 years ago. One of the tribes that I picked was, was the police department. I don't know what tribe you traffic in, but it's almost like being a missionary, you know? There are tribes out there, and your tribe might be your neighborhood. Your tribe might be where you volunteer. Your tribe might be your workplace. Your tribe might be your family, extended family. I don't know what your tribe is, but if we don't pick a tribe and have a target, and we don't run with purpose, we're never going to get her done, right? So this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do with me, and then the second thing would be, and be intentional about it. If we don't have intention, I don't know about you, but I don't get it done. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to do something. If God is speaking to you this morning over these past several weeks, and you've been challenged for application all along the way. So this is not the end of the series, by the way, but I just want to bring you to a point of intentionality this morning to say, look. Pastor Tom, I've heard what you've been saying. I've heard what Scott said. I've heard what Chris is saying. I really am starting to feel like I'm getting motivated here. But I need to be intentional. I need to take that next step. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not gonna, it's not an emotional appeal, but I'm just going to say to you this morning, if you're a young person, a man or a woman here this morning, and you're saying to, to the Lord this morning, God, okay, I'm not going to sit I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to take the next step. Whatever you're asking me to do, I'm going to take that next step. And if you're willing to do that, would you stand with me this morning? Just stand right where you are. Don't fake it. Just say, I'm willing. I'm going to sit down with you, with God, and I'm going to take that next step. Whatever it looks like. I'm going to be intentional. I'm not going to procrastinate any longer. I'm not going to rationalize any longer. I'm going to go for it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning humbled with these people standing. And God, I don't know how you're going to use them. But God, I pray that they would know those same things that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew. That we serve a powerful God. And that we have, because of that, you're always in the furnace with us. And so God, I pray as these folks assimilate what they've heard the past several weeks again, that there would be some intentionality, that there would 
there would be no more any kind of crass pronunciation or rationalizations, but God, we're going to go for it. Whatever that looks like, God, only you know. But God, I praise you and thank you for the challenge that we have before us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.